Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. You know, I've shared with you before that, that I loved English at, at school. I was not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I always loved English. I always loved reading, loved words, loved writing, being creative with that. And one of the things that always fascinated me about English is that we have these words that that just become associated with certain things. So, for instance, something that I might say to Elizabeth. Okay, darling. <laughs> I'm going to go away and I'm going to go and hoover the stairs. Okay? I don't think that I have ever in my life owned a hoover. I've had a Dyson. I've had a shark, I've had a, a Henry, technically Hoover, Henry Hoover, but I don't think I've ever had a Hoover. But yet, the word associated with vacuuming, which is what you're doing, has become Hoover. It's just become so associated with it that that's the word we use. Or maybe it's just me, maybe everybody does say my way to vacuum the stairs, but I would say I go and Hoover the stairs or I'll Hoover my car. And something similar has happened with Pentecost. We start to try and think about what, when we hear that word Pentecost, it might drum up a whole bunch of different things in our minds. It might be that we think of the, the Pentecostal denomination, where we might think of the, the almost wild-looking worship services that, that happen as the Spirit's moving. The noise that's filling the sanctuary as people are speaking in tongues and various other things that are going on. But it means that we sometimes forget that, that all Christians trace our roots back to this first Pentecost. And indeed, we might even forget that Pentecost isn't actually a Christian thing at all. We've adopted it. It's not just our because Pentecost was actually, as was revealed in my email yesterday, was actually a Jewish festival, a festival of the harvest. And a big festival within the, the, the Jewish calendar as they, as they gave thanks to God 50 days after the Passover. And it was an opportunity for all of the farmers to, to, to as I say, give thanks to God for the, for the harvest um, and his faithfulness to them as they had grown these crops. It was also a commemoration of the, the giving of the law to Moses. It was another thing that people um, in the Jewish faith would, would recall um, at Pentecost. And as the disciples are huddled together in Jerusalem, as Jesus has told them to, to stay in Jerusalem, you can imagine these are the things that they're thinking about at the time that it's now Pentecost and they're starting to think about 
giving thanks to God for the, the spring harvest and, and for the giving of the law. This new covenant that, that God has made um, that we read about in Jeremiah 31. Or thanking them for God's spirit that would be coming, that is referred to in Ezekiel. However, before that, that Pentecost, as they're huddled together in that room in Jerusalem, once that was finished, uh, a huge other kind of harvest had happened, a harvest for the souls of God's people, a huge harvest, all for Jesus. Now remember last week before Jesus ascended into heaven, he instructs his disciples to not only just go to Jerusalem and be together with one another, that they would comfort one another and support one another, but that they needed to wait because the power was going to come, the gift that the Father had promised. He told them to expect the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Expect it. He told them that the, the helper or the, the advocate, the gift would be coming. And in that first chapter of, of Acts, we read that for another 10 days, a small band of disciples, led by uh, Jesus' mum, Mary, and his brothers, and they gather together and they pray. They pray together, just waiting. Like I said to you, it's not a, a passive waiting as we wait on the Lord. It's an active thing that we participate in. And it's a reminder to us that when a church unites in prayer, amazing acts of God happen, great things happen. And that's why I highlight the, the, the real power that we have here in our church is our, our willingness to, to humble ourselves before God in prayer. And as we move into chapter 2 of the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost had come, Three amazing things happen when the Holy Spirit finally arrives, the expected Holy Spirit. There was a wind-like noise, fire-like tongues, an incoherent speaking of different languages. And I always, I commend you, Moira, because Every time I pick a, a passage that has a whole bunch of different names or places in it, I always feel sorry for the person that has to get up and, and read them out. But you did a wonderful job. And just so that people don't think that I, I've never read them out, I read them out on Wednesday at our midweek service. So I did at least do it myself too. And I didn't trip up on any of the names. I tripped up on the English language. There was, there was an English word in there that I tripped up on. But anyway, that's beside the point. The thing is, we use a phrase all of the time, and it's when we talk about things will happen in God's timing. You know, it's all in, it's all in God's timing. Because we know in the Scriptures that we're told that there is times that are set apart. Set apart for the kingdom. And we might remember last week when the disciples said, is it happening now? And Jesus said to them, look, it's not for you to know the dates and times. Just place your faith in God. The Father knows. But the thing is, along with Jesus 
coming to be with us in the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, the, the crucifixion, the, the resurrection, the, the, the ascension that we looked at last week. This day of Pentecost is one of those great acts that Jesus said was going to happen. The beginning of his kingdom breaking into earth, that the church would be born. The apostles would finally receive the, the power that had been promised to them, that their, their ministry would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that it would be a spirit-filled ministry. Their lips would be touched like fire. You know, you might think of uh, Isaiah as he speaks of his lips being touched with that hot coal that he's been commissioned to, to prophesy. And what happens next is there's this great move where the first revival uh, of the Christian church happens where we read that over 3,000 people are saved in their number. You know, John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus would, would baptize um, with the Spirit and fire. And he also spoke of a harvest. And that harvest was, was brought in on that first day of Pentecost of 3,000 people, all finding the, this powerful message spoken to them in their own language. And the thing is, it's, that's the thing that, that Luke focuses on. You know, these other tongues that, that he speaks about are not the spiritual tongues that we can read of in uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians which need an interpreter. But these were people speaking in languages that weren't their own, but were understood by everyone that was around there. An amazing miracle that's happening all through the power of the Holy Spirit that God came down in spirit form in that universal message of salvation that was understood by Jewish people from all over and all people from all over the Roman uh, Empire too, that they're able to understand this message of salvation spoken in their own language. This now meant that this message was for the whole world. You know, we might remember at Easter and at the top of the cross that the king of the Jews has written in the three languages of the time. That symbolizes that everyone who walked past that cross would understand that Jesus was the king of kings. And now they understand this message of salvation and the call to the church to be born. It represents everyone. And the thing that makes it more apt and the thing that I love about it and as I said to you before, I love how Luke um, shows his, his willingness to, to understand humans and get alongside them. He, he includes things in his gospel and in the book of Acts that, are, that you would think, why, why is that in there? But what I love about it is when he says, all were amazed and perplexed as they hear the, the apostles speaking in these languages. And says, and says to another, what does it mean? What does it mean? And he also includes in here that aren't they Galileans? Who are these people? Aren't they Galileans? These are people that would have been looked down upon. Fishermen from Galilee. You know, 
the hicks from the country. Why should we listen to those? But this is amazing. Something's happening here. Because how are they able to speak in all of these different foreign languages? But I love that Luke writes that. That God can use everyone. Including those that are looked down upon by the society. And God can work in anyone. Whether they're considered by the culture to be uncultured. Uneducated. But here they are speaking coherently in a whole bunch of different languages so that everyone could understand. But they say, what can this mean? What is going on? And the thing is, as is always the case, we read throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, that whenever God is doing something, when God is at work, there is always a group of people who want to downplay it or to come up against it. We read about it in the book of Nehemiah where he has this strong call to rebuild and yet there's this group of people who are like a thorn in his side. And Paul, the apostle Paul, talks of the thorn in his side. Always someone looking to try and downplay what is going on. This amazing act of God that has happened on this Pentecost. The people are there. They're seeing and witnessing this amazing thing that's going on. But what did he say? They must be drunk. They must be drunk. Not, wow, look at this amazing thing that's happening that God's doing amongst us. They immediately look to downplay it. They've already had a go thinking, the Galileans. Now it's that they're drunk. But in fact, far from being drunk or incoherent, they're very coherent. They're able to speak in a whole bunch of different languages that, that they, didn't, they weren't able to do it naturally. It was a supernatural thing that everyone could hear what it was that they were saying. And far from being out of control, they are fully under control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is controlling them. And as Peter says, it's only nine in the morning. It's only nine in the morning. How can we possibly be drunk? It's not the new wine that's filled us. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. And the part that, that Moira didn't read out, known as kind of Peter's sermon, as he looks to, to go on the defense for what has happened. And he preaches this amazing sermon and the first thing that he kind of shows is that it's, it's a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, that we're in those last days, that Jesus is going to be with the Father, and he will return, and he will return. We're in those days. And Peter picks that up in his second letter later on, near the end of his ministry. But this age that had been prophesied thousands and thousands of years ago was now happening. It was fulfilled in Jesus and that he would be coming back and that this was the time to get right with God. The Holy Spirit is now moving amongst them. We're now living in a messianic age where the Messiah 
has come and fulfilled what he was to fulfill and the Holy Spirit is now outpoured. Pentecost, the birth of the church, where young and old, near and far, servants and free are enabled and filled with the Holy Spirit to go and do the work of the kingdom. That they could come together in community as God's people, a family. Peter then goes on to, to speak of, of theology that, that attests to Jesus, that there's these miracles that have happened that show this, this dynamic, powerful God, these amazing miracles, the wonders that, that John writes about and the signs the, that signify these spiritual truths that go on in our world. And these things, Peter says, are done because God was in our midst. Peter reminds the, the people that it was God's decision that his son would, would go to the cross, that Jesus would be delivered up for crucifixion. And that's not to reduce the guilt of humankind who offered Jesus up but it's to show that God's hand was in it, that Jesus' death, his sacrifice, was an atonement for our sins. But that wasn't the end, because Peter reminds us that death wasn't able to hold Jesus. He wasn't in the tomb. He was alive. He was raised and then released. King David in uh, Psalm 16, which is definitely a psalm that the apostles would have known and heard many times. But those words are, I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices for you do not give me up to Sheol and let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Peter is helping them to now realize that David wasn't writing about himself. He was writing about Jesus, the Messiah. The one who would not be given up to Sheol, thrown in a pit but that it would be, would be able to rise and that Jesus was given all authority to send the Holy Spirit to be with us. And it's that moving of the Spirit that is happening on that first day of Pentecost where they hear the noise, they feel the wind, they hear all of these languages being spoken about, this wonderful act of community that is happening with the apostles and those who follow Jesus. And the thing is, Peter's powerful sermon can ask us a question, and that is, well, what should we do? What should we do? And the thing is, if we were to put into application Peter's sermon, we realize that it's one that's a call to repentance, that it's not just enough to to say you're sorry for what you've done, 
but that you allow God to forgive and to transform through the Holy Spirit. And that's why Peter brings in baptism, because there's that amazing transformation that happens with baptism. It's not the baptism that saves you. Jesus did that. But the baptism in Jesus' name identifies you as belonging to him. You become part of that community of believers. And the thing is, the church grows. The church grows. Because on the back of Peter's sermon, we read that in one single day, the membership of the church grew from 120 to 3,000. Imagine that here. When we come back next week, and we have to have four or five services because we can't all fit in here. Wow. That's the, that's the prayer. And we continue to pray for revival. And the thing is, the chapter closes, as Moira read out, of a picture of what that church looked like. That first church. And in fact, the way I see it is that's the way that the church should be now that they should be our example. We read that they learn from the apostles. We can do that too. We can read the, the books and the, the letters of the New Testament. We can learn from the apostles. It says that they shared in fellowship, that they, they spent time together, that it's more than just enjoying being in other company, but actually caring for one another. That it's a genuine love and fellowship that you have. And that's emphasized by the fact that we read that there was no one in that community that was in need, that they were looked after. And that's a strong thing for us to, to take on. And there's so many things that we do to make sure that we we recognize and we lay out a, a hand to help those that are part of our community that are in need. We read that they broke bread. And obviously that's a, a reference to what we will do very soon as we share in communion. But equally they would share in meals, which again we'll do after our service. That they come together over food. That one thing that will unite everyone we all need to eat. And when we sit at a table together, we recognize that we are part of that family together. And also they spent time in prayer. And it's why I do emphasize just how important prayer is. And it's wonderful that we have, as Phil referred to them, prayer warriors here in our church. But everyone, whether you do it in public, whether you do it in private, prayer is important. And we have a commitment to it here in Stone Law. Now the thing is, I say this every week, there is no clock. I don't know how long I've gone. I could probably speak a lot longer on this. But I'm going to finish with this. In verse 47, it says, Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, 
And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So while that day of Pentecost in Acts is unique, a unique event that happened, it is also an example and a challenge to us to be like the apostles and the members of that Acts 2 church. That we would study the message of God, that we would study the word of both the Old and New Testament and the letters. That we would study it. That we would share in fellowship with one another. That we would spend time in prayer, not just for ourselves or for others, but for fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit to be amongst us. that we would see revival happen here in Rutherglen and then South Lanarkshire, then all of Lan both Lanarkshires, Glasgow, whole of Scotland, all over the UK and all over the world, that we would see revival happening again, that we would proclaim Jesus' name and we would worship our great God. Because when we do all of those things, as it says here at the end, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, it will attract people. Not because we're so special, but because God will be able to work through us, through his spirit. You see the Acts 2 church in Jerusalem with their, their zeal and their love of God and for others, it became contagious. And it just shows us that what a healthy, loving church that is on fire for Jesus can achieve. Pentecost may well have been the, the birth of the church. But let's not forget that it was also the birth of an example to us all as the church here over 2,000 years later. So let's take that example here in Stonelaw and move forward with the Holy Spirit as our guide and our strength. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we thank you for Luke's account of your amazing power and work that you can do amongst us. We're sorry for the times that we try and do things in our own strength, failing to allow you to work through us and in us. Lord, we don't know what the, the future has in store for your church here or for our denomination. But we pray that we would be open that we would be open to the ways in which you are guiding us and leading us. That we would be able to emulate that Acts 2 church. That more and more people would be intrigued. Intrigued enough to want to learn more about you and to enter into that relationship. 
that's made possible through Jesus. And Lord Jesus, as we get ready to, to come to the table, we give you all thanks and praise for your willingness to go to the cross in our place. Lord, as we come to your table, help us to remember. And in that remembering, love you more. And in loving you more, might we place our lives in your hands. Lord Jesus, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Amen.